in your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, just lift your hand up real high and we'll get one to you. We've got uh, some extras. And uh, our text today is going to be verses 7 through 18. But we're going to read the chapter to get uh, just some good context of it all. It says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. 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 Go ahead and have a seat. So today's message is just looking at verses 7 through 18, this concept of the death and life of Christ in us. Starting the section out in verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And we'll look at that verse more on Wednesday night, but just to get an idea, Paul is basically starting out saying we are fragile as ministers. Uh, we are fragile and we are weak. And we'll look Wednesday night as to the purpose behind that. Um, but just getting that idea, we are fragile and weak as, a, as an earthenware pottery piece. Uh, that is what the Lord has chosen to give out the treasure of the knowledge of Jesus in. And verse 8, just getting into this idea, shows us how weak, how fragile, and how frail Paul and the ministers of the gospel even today 
are. Starting out by saying, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Verse 9 says, struck down, but not destroyed. So this idea of we are fragile because we are hard pressed on every side. The words speak of being crowded up against. Major pressure, being crowded up against, but not crushed, not in distress from that. Uh, the literal translation means we are pressed for room, but still have room. So there's some pressure going on there. And the figure that he's, he's trying to get across here is one of a combatant. Whether you might think of uh, in a boxing match or some sort of a ringed fight, or even on the battlefield, uh, a combatant who is pressed up against by his antagonist. Uh, and yet, in the ring or up against the ropes, he's still finding room to be able to turn and bob and weave and get around and, and keep fighting. A, a fighter that's taking jabs and taking hooks and uppercuts and is up against, is able to kind of get around and still be in the fight. Uh, you know, getting a little dizzy, but not in despair, maybe even constantly doubtful on what way to take in the fight, but always finding some way open is what Paul is talking about here. Another man wrote, this has the idea of someone who's being hunted. You know, think of uh, Tommy Lee Jones as the fugitive or something, you know, and he's like, well, I guess I'm going to jump out of this pipe, you know, I guess that's my way out right now. Uh, the idea of being a hunted, wanted man, and that went back, what, 25 years or something, half you people are like, I have no idea what the fugitive is. But uh, most of you know. In every way, and in every occasion, the apostles and those that minister the gospel uh, and this is specifically Paul's able to share from his testimony in every way, on every occasion, I'm up against the ropes. You remember a couple chapters ago in chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. Listen to this. That we were burdened beyond measure. Think of that. Burdened beyond measure. Above strength. We despaired even of life. Or later on in our, in our book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 7 verse 5, he says, indeed when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. On the outside were conflicts, and on the inside were fears. Hard pressed, Paul the Apostle yet not crushed. He says we are perplexed, but not in despair. In other words, we're at a loss, at a loss for words. Have you guys ever been there in the trials in your life? You're just like, I, I, I got nothing. Many times when people finally come to the church for prayer, that's where they're at. They're like, I'm at the end of myself. I'm at a loss. I, got, I just need you to just come lay your hands on me and pray for me. And Paul would say, I'm at a loss, but I'm not in doubt, is what that not in despair speaks of. Verse 9 says, persecuted, but not forsaken. Pers persecuted literally means to be pursued or hunted. Very ironic for Paul, because before he was a Christian, he was the one that did the hunting. 
And now he's the one who is the hunted. But he's not forsaken, left as an orphan or abandoned as a child. As Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Uh, the author of Hebrews quotes that. Psalm 129.2 says, Many a time they've afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. It's a bit of what Paul's going through as he's sharing with the Corinthians that he's even struck down, but not destroyed. And the illusion here is still that of combat. That he's, it's been said, knocked down, put down, and hurt badly, but not losing or perishing. I love the J.B. Phillips translation of this. We may be knocked down, but we are never knocked out. And you know, if that's your testimony right now, of, and I, I want to kind of move beyond like, man, I've really had a hard week, you know, like got in a fight, or this person's being mean to me, or, you know, and just move into the call that we have on our lives to be disciples and go make disciples. And the more we are about that, the more we will have this type of hard pressing, persecution, being struck down but not destroyed, and, and still being up against the ropes and being in some sort of, of combat. And as we're preaching the gospel, as we're rejected in any venue that we're sharing Jesus, it might be something you posted on Facebook to a comment you said to a coworker that was to point them to Jesus or your neighbor, man, you're going to be knocked down. You're going to get the look. And for us, that's like our hardest form of persecution in America is like, you're going to get the look or you might get chided, you know, but, um, you know, not many people have been whipped lately in America for the testimony of Jesus, though probably not too far away from that. And in our testimony of Christ, we're going to be knocked down, but we won't be knocked out. Everywhere Paul went, he got beat up, but he never gave up. As the psalmist says in 37, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I don't know if you guys remember those toys. I think they're called weeble wobbles and they're those, you either blow them up or something they, and you know, you knock them over and they pop back up and you knock them over and they pop back up. And uh, someone once said uh, in a song, I'm like a weeble, I wobble, but I don't fall down. And uh, that's, that's what the Lord's heart is for us as those that open up our mouths to tell people about Jesus. You know, we just, man, we're getting the looks, we're getting the, you know, uh, even, you know, maybe our, our employers are talking to us about been a little bit too much Jesus talk out there, you know, and uh, just weebling, wobbling, but not falling down. In fact, speaking of those toys, it's been the story that I've heard before. A dad asked his son, son, do you know what makes this toy pop back up to which the son replied he's standing on the inside and that's not some motivational thing like oh standing up everyone just stand up on the inside just like no we have the holy spirit on the inside we have the holy spirit upon us to be knocked down and to get back up not white knuckling it, not pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but relying on the power that's been given to us through the Holy Spirit. His dynamite, dynamic power is what causes us to stand up on the inside and to get back up after being knocked down. 
Let's listen a little bit of what Paul has been through and why he speaks to this so well. In 2 Corinthians 11, and remember the Corinthian church to where he's writing right now, they are like, he's, they're attacking Paul. There's a group of guys that are like false teachers, false ministers that are attacking Paul, questioning if he's really someone to be trusted, questioning if he's an apostle or a minister of Christ. So here's a little bit of Paul saying, here's, here's some evidence that I'm a minister of Christ. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Listen to why he says this is, this is what he's been through. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all of the churches. And just down a few verses in 32. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of Damascus with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Most men, as they study that little story about the basket and him being let down in the basket, would say that Paul was writing that to be his most humiliating time in his life, escaping in a basket down the city walls. And, and so you get an idea of what Paul has been through in being an ambassador of the gospel, and you see why he would say, we are burdened beyond measure, above strength, there is no hope. There's just no, man, how are we even continuing and hopefully it sheds a little perspective on your life. When was the last time you've been whipped, you know, 40 minus one lashes? And when was the last time that was four or five times that you've gone through that? Or shipwrecked and spent a night in the deep, even one? I mean, just let this give some perspective to our trials. Not that ours aren't hard, but especially in regards to our gospel witness. Hard, you know, hard pressed, up against the net. And yet God has kept Paul going faithfully. The story is told of Mark Twain, who was once boarding a train for Sioux City. And for some reason, he didn't want to carry his briefcase on board. So he asked the clerk if the case was strong enough to handle the rigorous treatment of the baggage handlers. Kind of reminds me of our airport situations these days. And the, the, the clerk took Mark Twain's case and threw it on the pavement. And he said, that, sir, is what she'll get in Philadelphia. Then he slammed it a half dozen times against the side of the car and said, that's what she'll get in Chicago. Finally, he turned the case to the wall and stomped it vigorously until all of the papers wipe, uh, fell out. 
and said, that's what she'll get if she ever makes Sioux City. Mark Twain couldn't believe what he was witnessing, and finally the clerk handed Twain his mangled briefcase and said calmly, if you're going any farther than Sioux City, I suggest you go ahead and carry it on yourself. <laughs> and you know, I think that's a good picture of Paul the Apostle, you know. Uh, he was the briefcase. He traveled a lot farther than Sioux City. He received rougher treatment than Mark Twain's briefcase. And yet the majesty of the message that he was preaching motivated him to carry on. He knew that God was at work in these difficulties. He's comparing himself to a combatant, a soldier. First, he's hardly pressed. I mean, even Jesus was hardly pressed. It says that the multitude would throng him and press up against him. You know, that, that was kind of in a good way, though. But Paul says, man, I'm, I'm hard pressed with opposition. Then it says that he's hemmed in. Then it moves on to I'm pursued. Then I'm actually cast down. This wasn't an occasional experience, even a once a week thing. This was the life of Paul which was like the life of Christ in an uninterrupted succession of difficulties. In fact, verse 10 here today says, I'm always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in my body. The following verses here show there's an association that exists in the apostle's mind where the life of Christ is manifested in us. And that's a way, it's proof that Jesus still lives. The personal sufferings of Christ are often illustrated in our lives whenever we are treated as he was. Always carrying, can we just read that again? Verse 10. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Hasn't that already happened? Didn't Jesus already die once for all? Hebrews makes that point heavily. Amen. That's true. Once for all, atoning for our sins. And yet the story and the example continues through the life of the Christian always caring about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Now that's the bad news. And he doesn't leave it at the bad part. He gives us some encouragement as well. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. So not only do we have the death illustrated in our lives, but we have the life and the resurrection illustrated in our life. Uh, Aaron Mapes and Dan Freoff and I went to Portland uh, to the Spurgeon Fellowship, a meeting for pastors uh, there at uh, Western Seminary. And we were just so encouraged this week because the speaker that they had uh, gave us a really cool tool, a great illustration for applying this very passage in our life. In fact, he even came to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and I was like, that's totally for us this week. And he introduced to us what's called the J-curve on a graph or on a scale. And he went to Philippians chapter 3 and he talked about how Paul counted all of his privileges and works as a loss 
for the excellency of knowing Jesus. And he went on to say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And why don't we just go back to that chart and I'll kind of walk through this with you. And so we have this life in Christ. Amen. Got born again. Woohoo! Things are great. I'm at a camp. I'm at a retreat. I'm at the Billy Graham conference. And maybe even that night or that hour, life continues. And we begin to suffer and go through pain and hardship and trials and tribulations. And we get to the point where we are hard pressed on every side, persecuted, all of these things that we've been reading here. But Paul said it in Philippians 3, and let's just stay on this chart as we're here. It says that I would know the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. You guys, that is the Christian life. That's something that Paul actually gave up everything for. I'll give it all up. I give up my Jewish pedigree, my heritage, all those Sabbaths that I went to, the school that I grew up in. You know, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. I was so zealous. I persecuted the church concerning the law. I was blameless. But you know what? I give all of that up that I might know Jesus and have fellowship with his sufferings, even to the point of being conformed to his death. And maybe that's where you're at today. Or maybe that's something you've gone through very recently where you've been down in the valley of the shadow of death. In your marriage, in your relationships, in your struggling against sin. I mean, you are at a low spot. But the good news is, as Philippians says it, and as our text in verse 10 says it, that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead as well. You see, the Lord doesn't leave us down in the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't stay in the valley of the shadow of death, but he brings us through that to resurrection glory and power and cheer and rejoicing and life. Let's look at this chart and why don't we stay here while I read Colossians 1 and think of how what Paul says here, not the whole chapter, just two verses in case you were worried there for a second. Just follow the J curve with what Paul says here. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Okay, so in Colossians 1, Paul says, I am filling up in my body what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. It continues on today, whenever the body of Christ suffers. And just very thing, it might be easy to miss, there is resurrection life, and glory whenever the word of God is fulfilled. It's the silver linings that the Lord would have us look for anytime we're going through trials and tribulations. 
Now check out Romans 8, 17, and we can read it together on the screen. If we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And we want to end it there so often, don't we? Woo! We are, we have an inheritance in Christ Jesus. We are children of God. Woo! Woo! But the verse doesn't stop. It says all of that good stuff is if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Let's go to the J curve. Let's check it out. Okay. So uh, we are living the life. We are children and heirs. And then we drop down into the slump, into death, right? If indeed we suffer with him. You know, so many people think the Christian life is just rainbows and lemon drops and kittens and unicorns and all that stuff. But very, it doesn't take long to figure out like, I still hurt. I still, people hate that I love Jesus. And we go through that time of death. If we're going to live with Christ, then we also suffer with Christ. And then it goes on in that Romans 8 passage, that indeed we may be glorified together. Doesn't end in the slump, doesn't end down in the valley of the shadow of death, but it ends with glorified with Christ. Let's look at Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And that is why in baptism, which come, you know, we can go to Romans 6 as a is an illustration of baptism that in baptism we show the world that we've died with Christ. We've been crucified with Christ and we go down into the water. We're buried with Christ, but we don't stay down under the water, do we? We come up just as Jesus rose from the dead. So too we rise from the dead in resurrection power. That's wonderfully good news. Jesus didn't stay in the grave, and we're not going to stay in this grave that we're living in. One final just illustration of this in 2 Timothy 2.11. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall live with him. Now there's hope for you today because you are going through various slumps, various points of death in your life, and I want you to Apply this to whatever you're going through. This is, man, the death that I'm going through, man, right here. But I also want you to take and look at your evangelistic ministry as a Christian. Preaching the gospel, getting the look from the coworker, having the family member say, back off. You know, I don't know why they do the cross if they don't believe, but whatever they do. Okay. And you're in that slump and the Lord would encourage you just as in Paul, you are hard pressed on every side. You are struck down. You're like a weeble. You're wobbling. You're down in that valley, right? You're down at the bottom of the J curve, but keep on, keep pressing. You're knocked down right now, but you're not knocked out. The Lord wants to bring you out of it. Now listen to verse 11 from our text today. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Okay? Now, real quick, in verse 10 and in verse 11, the word always is used. 
always delivered to death. Always, always, always delivered to death. A thousand times we are delivered to death. And it might even be a thousand times in one day. If we can do this next J-curve image that, that we've got. The, this was a part in our teaching on Tuesday when the man spoke to us. He says, guess what? There's, a, there's a, another line here that I want to add. We go through life. We go through the hard time of the death. And we're home free and resurrection power and glory. And then repeat. And we go through it again. And we go through it again. But Paul went through it again. Living out the gospel to this world. Always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. But again, it doesn't end in death. Our verse just said, so that the life of Jesus, and you could, you could say, always would be manifested in our mortal flesh. So don't focus today on, oh, we always got to die. There's always going to go through trials. We're always going to be, no, no, no. Take it and look at the beauty, the beauty that, that we're always also going to be going through the resurrection. We're always going to be going through the upswing of it. Paul says, I die daily in 1 Corinthians 15, but that would also mean I resurrect daily by the power of the Spirit and the good news of the gospel. Each time Paul and the apostles would go through suffering, you read the story in the book of Acts, the presence of God would always show up and move in powerful ways. Every time he's drug out of a city and stoned and prayed for and imprisoned and beaten, man, right away the Lord begins to move. He's beaten and he's put with um, Silas in a prison there in Philippi and they begin to worship the Lord and sing hymns. And so, uh, and so let's just work through Philippians, uh, the Philippians story. Remember in Philipp Philippi, Acts chapter 16, Paul is preaching the gospel and witnessing. There's good life going on. Uh, Lydia and her gals are getting saved down by the river. Um, they're preaching the gospel. They even cast a demon out of a girl, out of a slave girl. That all is like life, right? That's like high point ministry life. And then they're arrested for casting the demon out of the slave girl. And they ruined a guy's profit in fortune telling. So they're uh, imprisoned. They're struck with rods. And they're thrown into a prison cell. And that seems like, oh man, our ministry time in Philippi is dead. You know, like, oh, just, oh, I don't know that I want to do this anymore. This life of a man. But they turn their eyes to Jesus. And it says they began to worship. And I'm telling you, the minute they began to worship, the death curve started coming up towards resurrection curve. The minute they began to worship, it says, and the other prisoners were listening. And obviously the Holy Spirit began moving in that prison because not long after the ground began to shake and an earthquake happened and all the doors of the prison opened and that's like, woohoo, we're going to be free. And then the Lord begins to move in even other ways that, that the prisoner sees that the, uh, I'm sorry, the, the prison keeper, the guard, thank you, jailer, whatever, you know, he's looking around, all the prison doors are open, oh, everyone's escaped. He takes his sword out to fall and, and Paul cries out, fall on his sword, and Paul cries out, don't do it, don't kill yourself, we're all here and accounted for. And the jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And all of a sudden, this, it's like centrifugal force, you know, where we're on the death, but we come back around and whoosh, I mean, there is resurrection power and life going on in Philippi where this jailer's whole house gets saved. 
Don't lose focus when you're down there in the death curve, you guys. God wants to do something through the trials as the death of Christ is manifest in your body. He wants to also show the life of Christ and the resurrection power and glory. And I'm telling you, in the next chapter or even before the end of this chapter, they're going to go through it again. They're going to go through it again. The repeat button is hit. The repeat button is hit. Sometimes a thousand times a day. And one pastor at this conference we were at raised his hand and goes, is there any hope? It just keeps going and going. And this preacher, Paul Miller, said, we just have to trust what our Father has for us. This is how he has ordained it. We are earthen vessels. We crack so easily. We break so easily. But we have a treasure inside us. And every time we're cracked a little more and beat up a little more, it's just more chance for people to see the treasure through the cracks. It's more chance for resurrection power to be shown. Resurrection life. Read the word with this J-curve in, in your mind as you watch the stories unfold. Whenever there's trials, God does something in resurrection power. And look at your trials in this same light. Whatever you're going through right now, there is a purpose in it. You won't stay in Death Valley forever. Keep your eyes on him and he will bring you through with centrifugal force to resurrection life. Verse 12 says, So then... Death is working in us, but life in you. You can apply that to the J-curve. Paul is going through torment, horrib horrible stuff. But as he's going down in the slump, his sufferings brought about great fruit in Corinth. Verse 13, and since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. Just moving quickly through this verse, but you might just take a note right now. Those who believe speak. Paul quotes the psalmist of 116. If you believe in Jesus, you'll speak. I was sharing with my core group this week. I'm in a bit of a J-curve slump in evangelizing with my neighbor. I just feel like, man, it's just, there's like gridlock. There's just, I just, I'm trying to press in. It just seems like brick wall something's holding back I just don't know what it is and I'm just I'm gonna keep pressing in in the slump in witnessing to my neighbor until the resurrection power somehow it's going to be resurrection power I'm trusting the Lord in that but look at verse 14 I kind of want to stay on these verses that really emphasize this today knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. What a wonderful verse that just focuses on the right side of the J-curve. I mean, that's a verse that's just like the resurrection, man. Jesus coming back, resurrected, and raising us up again in our resurrection in the last day. He will present us with you. And as we read this verse, we want to bring it to proper application because this is to be understood as the literal resurrection of Jesus from the grave right now, and the literal resurrection of our bodies. Did you know, this is something a lot of Christians don't know, did you know that you, your body, look at it, check it out, will be resurrected? Did you know that? A lot of people think of heaven and like, my spirit's going to go up and fly on a cloud, it's going to be great, play a harp, you know. The Greeks had that. 
The Greeks had afterlife. That's, they had that type of a belief system. But when Paul preached to them in Acts 17 there in Athens, and he told them about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, he's the first fruits of all of us who will rise from the dead. They thought he was crazy out of his mind. Others said, we'll hear you again on this matter. This is an interesting concept. That our bodies will rise from the dead. If you're a Christian, you will rise from the dead one day. Whether you've been cremated or thrown at sea and got eaten by a shark and the shark did this and then something can't, you know, whatever. You do the whole process. Sickos. <laughs> God who created something out of nothing, made Adam out of dust, is going to take all those particles and resurrect you in glory. I will have those six-pack abs that I've always wanted. It's going to be great. But if you're not a Christian, you also will be resurrected. So if you're not a Christian here today, you're not following Jesus, look at your hands. Feel your face. Because you will be resurrected as well. But the Bible says you will be resurrected to judgment. And for the rest of your days, there will be torment... <laughs> Not even for the rest of your days, for the rest of ever. Forever, ever, ever, to quote the Sandlot. And ever. For the rest of ever, which is forever. We got that part, right? There will be torment with your body resurrected. Gnashing of teeth and weeping and wailing. And just as many Christians have a false assumption of eternity of, you know, floating on the clouds or whatever, you have a false assumption that You'll just have some sort of an existence, maybe. Maybe hell will be like just a place for you to party with your friends. And it'll just be like, yeah, all the dark people, man, you know. So false. Your body will be resurrected. And just as you felt pain here, you'll feel it multiplied a million trillion times in agony. And the pain that you've experienced now has been tempered with the presence of God still in your life to some degree. But there, he will have removed his presence. And suffering will take on a whole new meaning. What are you ready for? What resurrection are you looking forward to? The resurrection with Christ in glory, with the rest of the saints, or the resurrection of judgment that leads to death? Verse 15 says, For all things are for your sakes. So that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Paul just shares as a pastor with a pastor's heart and says, all those times I go through the slump and I, you know, I go through that slump of death every time you listen to these false teachers questioning my love for you, my authority, the validity of my ministry, I go through the death cycle. But you know what? God's somehow in his sovereignty working through that death cycle and bringing life to you guys. And if that's what God's doing, then keep it coming. All things are for you guys. All things are for the bride of Christ. And when all things are for the bride of Christ, grace comes and that causes thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. So what is the chief end of man and the chief end of the church? Even if we're blessed, it all goes where? To the Lord. To the Lord in, in glory and worship, right? Whenever we're even reading these about, oh, we will go through glory, it's so that he will go through glory. The motivation to Paul's ministry was the glory of God. Let's move on. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed 
day by day. This is the second time this phrase is used uh, in this chapter. I think verse 1 has that we do not lose heart as well. It speaks of being discouraged, lacking courage. And, you know, the devil wants to discourage us in many different ways, whether it's through the whippings that we're getting as Christians and the looks and that outward man perishing as Paul's body, no doubt, was beginning to hurt. But even as some of us start to get older, you start to get discouraged and feel worthless in the ministry and for the use of the kingdom. And we can be encouraged today that even though the outward man is perishing, every system goes from order to disorder and we're feeling that. Turn 34 yesterday, feel so worthless. <laughs> right? I love you guys. You know? Ah, my shoulder right now hurts worse than it ever has. I can't like set a glass, no lateral movement. It hurts so bad. I'm whining about it to everybody. Like we've heard, oh, but my shoulder hurts so bad. And I'm like, is this what 34 is? I don't want this, right? My outward man is perishing. Got a haircut yesterday by Lindsay. There is gray hairs all over right here. Be quiet. We go to Erica. She won't say anything about that. Outward man perishing. Some of you are feeling it much more than I am. But the good news of the J-curve is that the inward man is being renewed, giving, given vigor day by day. While the outward man deteriorates, the spirit of God invigorates the inner man. As Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints or is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Is that where you're at today? You come and you're down in the, the death part of the J-curve right now. You have no might. Come to him today. Fix your eyes afresh on him. He gives power to the weak. Mentally, physically, emotionally. You got nothing to give. That is good. Because it's at the bottom of the death curve that he brings you out into the resurrection power. To know those who have no might, he increases strength. And it goes on to say, even the youths, shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fail. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's the good news of what Jesus does. He didn't stay dead in the grave. He rose in new life. And he does that work in us throughout our trials and ultimately in the end day when we will be resurrected with the rest of the saints to meet him in the clouds. And 1 Thessalonians says, comfort one another with those words. Comfort one another. That day will be coming. We're to be renewed. And even today we can be renewed. Romans and Colossians both speak of being renewed in our mind. Let's look at verse 17 together. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Consider the J-curve. Light affliction. 
It's just a moment, and then it shoots to this resurrection of a weight of glory. It's amazing that Paul endured shipwrecks, stonings, imprisonments, beatings, incredible hardship. Worse than anything, I got a stitches once from cutting myself on a big wheel scooter kid toy. That was pretty rough. Paul's like, dude, I've been beaten up and stoned to death. Cast out of a city, shipwrecked, night and a day in the deep. You're a wimp, Rory. Yet Paul calls what he went through light affliction. How can that be? Doesn't seem too light to me. It is light when it is compared with heaven's glory. Heaven's highs make today's burdens seem as light as a feather. Heaven is so heavy, our first nanosecond with Jesus will make up for all of a lifetime of tears and affliction and trouble and pain on this earth. Compared to eternity, Sandy Adams wrote, life on earth is a split second. A million zillion years from now, all the tears we've shed in this world will have long been forgotten. Listen to our verse again. Look at verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Paul says it again in Romans 8. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. You know, if you were to weigh it out on a scale... Here's everything I'm going to right now. And then, boom, heaven. And it launches it off the scale, if you were to follow that picture with me. You can't even compare. Keep your eyes on eternity. Keep your eyes on the promise that he will resurrect this situation and he will resurrect your body in eternity. These are light, momentary afflictions. Look at, I love verse 17, the progress. God has promised us not just glory. I mean, that would have been good. Woo, glory. But a weight of glory. And not just a weight of glory, but an eternal weight of glory. And not just an eternal weight of glory, but an exceedingly eternal weight of glory. You know it's coming, don't you? And not just an exceedingly eternal weight of glory, but a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Wait for it. There's another one. Far more exceedingly eternal weight of glory. The way this is written in the Hebrew is excess unto excess. Or exceedingly exceeding. That is what God has in comparison to not even, it's not even worthy to be compared with our light affliction. And I want you to write on the margin of your Bible or on your hand or wherever you're going to be able to remember it, what you're going through right now is light affliction. And whether it's this or something else, you will always bear the death of the Lord Jesus in your life. Whatever, you know, this is going to end, something else is going to come. Something else is going to come. Something worse than this is going to come. Will you still trust Jesus? Always 
manifesting the death of the Lord Jesus, but it doesn't end there. Suffering does not have the final word. You also manifest the life, the resurrection power and glory. Finishing with verse 18, we can have the worship team come on up. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. With this all in mind, we walk with an eternal mindset. Knowing that the end of the game is resurrection glory. It's the same mind that our forefathers, Abraham, Jacob, and all the saints that have gone since them have had. And so suffering with this mindset will not just be something that we will endure. It will be an opportunity for incredible joy. And that's what God wants to give us this morning. Why don't we stand together together?